welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He is the founder and CEO of Constellation Research, Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and many other publications. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at R-W-A-N-G. Zero. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my co-host, Bala Afshar. More importantly, one of the top CIO and CMO follows on Twitter and an author himself. And of course, someone that is influencing tons of folks um, through blogs and through speaking engagements. So we're talking about some very cool issues this Friday. This is kind of like the, is it really the real Ray or the real Vala issue? So let's find <laughs> out. Let's go deeper on this. Who do we have today? It is our pleasure to have Paul Doherty, Chief Technology Innovation Officer at Accenture, returning back to uh, Disrupt TV. Uh, Paul, over his career, has worked with thousands of companies, governments, and, and, and business leaders, helping them apply technology to transform their organizations. Uh, today, Paul oversees Accenture's technology strategy, innovation architecture, and leads research and development ventures in advanced technology, ecosystem groups, and much more. He recently founded Accenture's artificial intelligence business and leads Accenture's research into artificial intelligence. In 2017, Paul was named Computer World's premier 100 technology leader, uh, leaders uh, for his extraordinary uh, technology leadership. He is passionate advocate for equal opportunity and access to technology and computer science. He serves on the board of directors of Girls Who Code and is a strong advocate and sponsor of Code.org. Paul's a member of the World Economic Forum's Future Council and Future of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics, and he's on the advisory board of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Michigan. He's also co-author of a must-read book, I keep emphasizing this, Human and Machine, Reimagining Work at the Age of AI. Paul, I gotta tell you, I keep rereading re chapters because you put so much nuggets of wisdom in this book, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so you can follow uh, Paul on Twitter at P-A-U-L-D-A-U-G-H. Welcome back, Paul, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, thanks, it's uh, great to be here. Always, always fun to do this, and I think we're gonna have a, a fun Friday here. Absolutely. Yeah, no, this is great. You know, you were last on episode 51 in March 2017, and you were also on episode 12 in April 2016. This is a once-a-year affair. We got to do this more often. Yeah, but what's new? Often. What's new since I bumped into you, like, on a plane to, like, Berlin? Where was it? Berlin? No, where were we going? I think we, yes, somewhere, a Munich airport or somewhere. Munich, there. Munich. We're heading to Munich on our way to Davos. What's, what's new since then? You know, the... Uh, it, I, mean, it, I mean, there's so much that's new. It's kind of questions, where do you start? But the big new thing that we're focused a lot on that I've been spending a ton of time on is artificial intelligence, which is the, the subject of the book that we wrote. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, my view is it's more than a technology trend. I call it the alpha trend that's really driving other things and shaping a lot of uh, the other activity that we see in the market. So, uh, so I'm not sure it's new since we last talked, but what continues to surprise me is the pace of adoption of AI uh, the pace of some of the misunderstandings, uh, some of the misunderstandings about AI is also picking up. And uh, that's why we wrote the book. 
uh, Human Plus Machine was to try to provide some guidance to executives and others who are thinking through these issues to look at, you know, what's real, what's not, what can you do today, and what's, what's the roadmap to apply AI in a way that is, uh, you know, gives you the upside for your business and avoids some of the downsides. And there are, there are a number of downsides that you, pitfalls that you have to avoid as you, as you deploy AI at scale. You know, you, you have the privilege of uh, working very closely with extraordinary number of business leaders who are trying to transform their companies, not just to compete, but to survive. And you included so many incredible company use cases in terms of how businesses across multiple industries are leveraging machine learning and advanced capabilities of AI to really reimagine not just the future of work, but again, how do you delight and anticipate the needs of your stakeholders? What, what, what motivated you to write this book? And to talk to us about the challenge of meeting with so many executives, capturing the best and brightest insights to really produce an extraordinary book like this. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just am fortunate to have a a, a, a great job where I get I can do a, meet with a lot of people and uh, and benefit from a lot of insight. I work for a company of four hundred and forty five thousand people now, so we have a lot of people who are out working with our clients all the time. And uh, you know, as you said, work with uh, our technology partners, and there's so much great stuff happening at you know at Salesforce, at Amazon, at Microsoft, at Google, at IBM, and you know, all these other companies that we're, we're fortunate to work with. And so we collect all these stories and that's, you know, there's far more stories on the cutting room floor that actually made it into the book. Yeah. And the, the reason we wrote the book though was, was, um, you know, two years ago, my co-author, who's a brilliant guy, Jim Wilson, he leads our technology research in Accenture. He and I were having a cup of coffee and we were talking about what we thought would play out with AI. And it, what we were talking about was so different than the narrative at the time. We said, we, we got to do something to change this narrative. And one of the, the big parts of the narrative, especially two years ago was, AI was, you know, AI might take over the world. <laughs> you know, you had Elon Musk and all these things happening. And if it didn't take over the world, it was certainly going to take all of our jobs. Uh, here's what the focus was. And then, the, and then we're also focused on AI was beating us all at all these games. So if it didn't take over the world and take our jobs, it was going to take away our fun. And we, we didn't think, you know, any of those were really the, the things to be worried about. And we wanted to get focused on the real issue, which is how do you reshape work? If you're, if you're in a business and you want to, take advantage of AI, how do you do it in a way that you reshape the work and drive the results you want and do it in a way that's mindful of people? And that's what we found in the research we did. So we, in addition to all the, the you know, meetings and people we talked to, we, we did uh, primary research on 1,500 organizations deeply. And we yeah. talked to a lot of, uh, in, did research on you know, uh, workers as well as executives in organizations. And what we found is that organizations that are applying AI in a way that is following the principles we talk about in the book, we talk about this human plus machine idea and responsible AI. The returns of those who just apply AI, you know, let's say that's, you know, that's kind of the baseline. The more you incorporate responsible AI and a human plus machine perspective focused on productivity and effectiveness, your returns go up, up as high as seven times organizations that are just deploying it in a routine fashion. And that led us to this idea we talk about in the book that this is about an era of reimagining. It's not re-engineering, which we did in the last generation. It's not the initial wave of automation, which was the early 1900s. We're in the third wave of business in how we structure work and organizations. And we call that reimagination, and it's fundamentally different. And if you recognize that, you drive much higher returns in your business, you create uh, more attractive jobs for your people, and, uh, you, and you set yourself ahead from the competition. And that's what we're talking about in the book. 
hey, as, a, as an astute studier of uh, consulting practices and what's going on, you actually <laughs> redefined the framework for this. You actually created a meld framework that went beyond the classic people process technology, and you also reimagined um, how this should be delivered. So talk a little bit about what meld is and why that's important to leverage the full power of AI. Yeah, we, I mean, we, uh, yeah, good point, right? We, we really think you need to think differently to gain these benefits out of AI. And that's, so we, we, uh, we're trying to figure out how to get that across. And we came out with this MELDS framework, which is based on uh, you know, thousands of AI projects we're doing at Accenture. We distilled that down into this new, uh, this new framework. And it talks about this mindset around uh, reimagining and how do, you, how do you reimagine. There's a methodology behind how you do that. Uh, we talk about the, the E of MELDS, so, so M is mindset, E is experimentation, and we believe that's critical. And we, a lot of people have talked about experimentation and fail fast, but you really have to do it with AI. Uh, a good, great example is Amazon. Look at the way Amazon works, and they, they try mobile phones. That doesn't work, but what they learn helps them build Alexa. You know, that's the kind of experimentation that you need to see. Leadership is this idea of responsible AI and a different leadership set of leadership values, uh, and it's really important. We we feel incredibly strongly that we need a different code of responsibility and ethics as we enter AI uh, because of some of the issues that are introduced. So that's the leadership element. D is data. Uh, data is the fuel of AI. You guys know this, and most of the audience I'm sure knows it, but most organizations' data is insufficient to, to drive the results they want with AI. Part of the research we did for the book, we asked executives about their data, and 97% of executives almost all of them, 97%, said they're making significant business decisions based on data they know is bad, <laughs> you know, which is scary. Um, but we made it really quickly and automated it. Hey, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, but then you, you scale the imperfections uh, in magnificent ways and have uh, a great bad consequence. And then the, the S is the skills point, and the, the skills point is what we really spend a lot of time on in the book, because all the other stuff is important, but if we don't equip people with the skills that they need to do jobs, in, the, in, the, in this new age we're moving into, we're, we are gonna have big issues. And so we, we fundamentally believe we don't have a jobs issue with AI, and that's borne out in the research and the numbers. I can go through that if you're interested, but we don't have a jobs issue. We're creating more and more jobs. We, we, and the jobs are increasingly requiring, you know, and will more increasingly require AI in the way that people work. And this isn't the machine learning people. This is the just people doing, you know, the, the mortgage processors, customer service agents, et cetera. And um, we don't believe that we're doing enough now to prepare people for those skills. So we lay out a framework for how to do this in the book. And, um, and we're donating all the proceeds from the book to, or to nonprofits that are focused on mid-career reskilling in particular. So there's a lot of focus you know, on K through 12 and higher ed. We think the thing that's missing is helping those that are displaced mid-career you know, uh, from professions that don't, that, that don't have the fallback don't have the resources to re-educate themselves. And so we're donating all the proceeds to new approaches, new technologies and organizations that are helping those people displaced by AI. Because there will be people displaced, even though there's enough jobs. The issue is getting those people the right skills so that they can be successful. I want to comment before my next question uh, for those of us watching. Paul also is a principal author of an annual report from Accenture which thankfully helps me produce some of my most popular articles that I've ever written. <laughs> and all I do is just summarize the report, which is just pure magic, but it's the technology vision report. And in 2018, there was a, a, a which covers uh, significant trends that will impact business and society for the next three, five, 10 years. And citizen AI was one of the key trends for the 2018 technology vision report. Right. So I highly recommend it for our audience to read that report in addition to the book because it gives you a more a very holistic view 
of how, why business leaders are thinking about investing in machine learning and AI and advanced analytics because it's critical to their success. So in the MELDs, uh, the S, which is skills, uh, actively developing eight what you call fusion skills mm -hmm. necessary for reimagining the processes um, in that missing middle, which is humans and machines. And right. there's an entire chapter about missing middle that I encourage everyone to uh, uh, get carefully read. So, so these skills draw on the fusion of human machine talent with business process to create better outcomes and, uh, and, 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 and than working independently. Can you talk about some of the, these fusion skills? And there are eight of them. Um, yeah. And you know, feel free to discuss all or some. Yeah, no, it's just the uh, fusion skills are really important part of the whole, uh, the whole book there. And it's about uh, part of the foundation of fusion skills and the concept is that we fundamentally believe that access to AI will be democratized over time, will continue to be democratized. AI, accessing AI will be like accessing spreadsheets more and more. And so that it'll, it's not, uh, it's not uh, wizards and robes that'll be using AI to make decisions. It's everyday people that'll use AI to be more effective. We strongly believe that we see it happening already. And that's, uh, that's generally what leads to these fusion skills, which is how do we take human capability and put it together with, with AI. And I hate the term artificial and artificial intelligence. So we're starting to use the, the word collaborative intelligence, which puts together our human intelligence with better tools to create better outcomes. We call that collaborative intelligence, and that's what's at the heart of these fusion skills. So one example is uh, a skill we call judgment integration, and it's about in the future, how are you going to need to uh, to make decisions differently as an organization and as an individual? And uh, a good example of this is the digital twin technology that uh, the GE, Siemens, you know, other organizations are using in the industrial you know, manufacturing areas. So, so think about it. You used to have a technician that used to maintain a piece of machinery with the big decisions on that being made by someone back in an, in an office somewhere. Now what you're doing is you're equipping uh, you know, that technician with their technical expertise with real-time software-based virtual models of the equipment powered by IoT with real-time data in real time. So if, they're doing, if they need to do maintenance on a jet engine, a technician has a software model. They can say, where's that plane going to go next? Given you know, what might... You know, what might need to be maintained? Is it safe going to the next place? If I take it out of service now, what's the, is there another plane or what's the impact on the fleet revenue to move that engine now? And then the line employee can make significant business decisions at the edge of the, of the enterprise powered by AI and new tools. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's not a dull, tedious job of going through a checklist like they used to and people somewhere else making decisions. It's a more efficient process. It's better capital efficiency uh, and, uh, and really re, a reimagined whole different workflow. It's not applying technology the way you did work. It's a new way of doing it. And that's judgment integration and the, the person at the front line being able to use their judgment combined with, with better tools to do it. My favorite though is uh, rehumanizing time. Uh, it's one of the skills, rehumanizing time. So I think all the technology of the information age so far has dehumanized time. Yeah. It's been all about technology that locked us into processes. The re-engineering age locked people into static processes. You had to do something when you were told or when it was the right step to do it. We got technology that allowed us to work 24-7. We got technology that gave us more emails and more cues of interrupt-driven things for us to do. We believe the power of, of, AI, of AI, and I think we'll hear about this from some other people on the show, is to create human experiences that are very different and that allow us to slow down time, slow down things that are happening, and use technology to, you know, to approach things in a more human way, to communicate uh, in build more uh, human emotion and human responsiveness into customer care processes to build more contemplative time into healthcare professionals days so they can spend more time focusing on patients and this idea of rehumanizing the time we have is, is a real key skill that we think is at the heart of the, the new processes.
Yeah, I, know, I love that. These fusion skills are amazing, right? Helping people rethink about how they can reskill to get there. We actually got a great question here um, from on the chat as well, and the question uh, from Rodrigo Lobos. Uh, he's basically asking, Paul, can you can you reflect on the attributes, skills, competencies required for digital leaders so they can propel companies uh, with digital experiences? And we're talking about those right now. Some of those fusion skills. Want to just want to jump into another one that I liked was bot based. Fusion skill number five, bot-based. What, what is bot-based? Bot empowerment. Bot-based empowerment. I love yeah. it. I know. Bot-based yeah, bot, empowerment. Yeah, bot-based. I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a great one, too. And again, it's how, how do you empower people? So think, I'll illustrate with that one with an example. Uh, an example working with, with a financial institution where uh, a lot of the time of their call center agents dealing with people you know, in, in a certain process, they take a, an, um, a uh, money transfer process. A lot of the work of the customer service agent is trying to think about and follow compliance rules as they're interacting with the customer. If it's cross-border, you, you use a different screen and you follow a different process than if it's within the country, et cetera. So think about instead of that, you trying to manage all that in your in your head, think about having a wingman, a bot, you know, a, a bot-based wingman, that's the compliance bot that can listen to the dialogue, listen to the questions, follow what you're doing, and advise you when, hey, you need to trigger this or you need to ask this question given the compliance rules. So it frees you from the cognitive overload of being every, trying to do everything in that process. And, uh, you know, the bot empower, you know, gives you, you know, the empowerment to, you know, to carry on with the real human part of the work, which is interacting with the customer and trying to achieve the outcome that they're achieving. That's an example of using a, a bot wingman in that case, a compliance bot, not that's replacing the, the human agent, but that's not allowing that human agent to be more effective. So this is augmenting humanity across the board. You're, you're yeah. giving us tools to, just like we got a jackhammer out there when we're actually out doing something or a lawnmower or some kind of power equipment. This is the equivalent on the mental end. Yeah, no, exactly. There's, I don't know if you know Dove Seidman. Uh, Dove, uh, he, he's CEO of a company called Learn, LRN Technologies, and he's, uh, and he's uh, a kind of philosopher CEO is the way I think of him. He's got a phrase which I love, which is, with the, for these generations of te technology that we talked about. We, he says we're, go we're moving from the hand to the head to the heart. The hand was, was industrial automation, physical labor. The head was knowledge worker, late 90s. And we're moving to, it firmly, strongly, we're moving to the heart now with this new set of technology. You know, the more human the technology, people get scared. If the technology is more human, it's gonna displace humans. What actually happens, what Dove talks about, is the more human the technology, the more it enables our human capability. It, we really do think it moves you to, you know, to more human place. So we can use AI and robotics, social robots, to help children with autism focus and you know, be more comfortable and learn better. We can help patients with depression, you know, overcome depression. You know, very human things in the healthcare sector in, that, in those particular cases that, um, that we can accomplish with this technology combined with people that we couldn't do before. And that's what we believe the real power is. Paul, you're having a lot of fun, aren't you? You're, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so clear, the passion and enthusiasm. And I, and I see you speaking at events. I see you writing. You're super active on social. So you're exemplifying what I believe is a critical skill in leadership, and that's to stay teachable. And when you learn something, share so you can be helpful. I just came from Europe, and I met with some of the largest telco and energy and sectors that are not necessarily viewed as innovation leaders, and yet they openly talked about working with Accenture to really reimagine how they were going to evolve as companies. What advice do you have? What do you tell CEOs or, or, or business leaders in general in terms of the importance of staying teachable? And what, what, some, what are some advice you have to some of the startup founders that are watching us right now trying to create new technologies that will certainly change the world? 
Yeah, well, I'm, if, the way to summarize my career is I'm a failed college professor. That's, <laughs> that's what I thought I was going to be. Um, so teaching has always been, uh, teaching has always been kind of, you know, central to the way I think about things. I, I, and I, I, I used to think about that as different than running, you know, running my organization or leadership and teaching as distinct things. But what I've come to realize is that my, the most important thing I can do is teach. So if I can teach, you know, teach my people what's important. So when, I, when you make a decision, how do you not just tell people what to do? or make the decision, but how do you give them insight into your thinking so that they can make that decision better the next time? How do you give them the context around it? So I, I try to think about everything I do in terms of, of teaching, you know, when I, with customers, it's about how do you, you know, it's the selling process to me is really a teaching process. How do you, how do you uh, convey, you know, our underst the, the understanding of the client's problem and how to best solve the client's problem and how our capabilities are the right way to do it. It's an education process in, in most cases. So I've come to see a lot of what I do as, 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 an edu as teaching. And I think that's, that's a very powerful thing if you think about it, because you're, if, you're, if you're just doing things, it's just about you. If you're teaching, you're, you're kind of building an army and a, and a team around you. And I think that's really the way that you need to view it increasingly in this new era. <laughs> and I think the interesting thing with AI is it extends to all the AI we're creating and how do we create the right roles for people around the AI. And, and I, I've talked about this idea that we're going to see AI and people, the org chart interspersed and intermingled. It's going to be one thing, you know, as we look at bots and you know, AI capabilities and people and such, and that's not a that's not a threat or a bad thing. It's a good right. thing. And how do we keep all this this whole organism, you know, learning and evolving effectively? No, keep doing is, what you're doing. This is awesome. We are with Paul Doherty, Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at Accenture. Must read Harvard Business Review <laughs> Press book, Human Machine. We have to capture that screenshot, and it is freaking <laughs> awesome. Uh, and more importantly, that teachable moment. Um, Paul is a Business Transformation 150 winner from Constellation. So we'll see you at the event next year. And post, give us your recommendations for who other BT150 uh, finalists should be. So send them along. But anyways, thank you so much for being on the show. Three-time show appearance. And more importantly. Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee. No questions. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again soon. It's been too long. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You've got to read this book. I mean, I think my son's read it twice. Uh, I don't know if my daughter's getting to that point, but it is, it's, it's, it's a great read. So uh, awesome. So who do we have next? We're, we're on this innovation AI quotient here. Who else is on the hot end of AI? From one uh, extraordinary thought leader to another, it's our privilege to have Maribel Lopez, technology analyst, speaker, author, business advisor, a great follow on social. I had to shorten the bio because we only have 20 minutes. Maribel is the founder of Lopez Research, a market research strategy consulting firm. She's also the co-founder of Emerging Technology Research Council, a community of business and technology leaders in the Fortune 1000 companies focused on driving innovation and business value through mobile, IoT, AI solutions, and many more emerging technologies. Her clients range from startups uh, to you know, 10 of the Fortune 30. So incredible uh, uh, spectrum of, of clients. She's also author of the book, Right Time Experiences, and a contributor to Forbes. Uh, Maribel currently research and writing next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. Another must follow on Twitter because we only invite must follows on Twitter on Disrupt TV at M-A-R-I-B-E-L-L-O-P-E-Z. Welcome Maribel to uh, Disrupt TV. Yeah, welcome. And uh, as you unmute the, the line, we'll be able to catch up. But Maribel has been doing some awesome stuff, uh, talking about the convergence between 5G, IoT, and a whole bunch of areas. So let's start here, because this is where your journey has begun to the AI side. Where are we on 5G and IoT, and how did it take you to where you are today? 
Yeah, so I think we started with this whole concept of the mobile journey, and now we're talking, and, and each year we get more Gs, right? It was 2G, it was 3G, it's 4G, now it's 5G, right? And so where are we on 5G? Uh, 5G is interesting because I think people think it's just faster 4G, which it is, but it's more than that. We talk about it being better latency, really huge bandwidth, and the way people are thinking about it is really different. So instead of it just being a better smartphone technology, uh, what we're looking at is the ability to do fixed wireless uh, to homes, to uh, hospitals, to factories. We're looking at it as a possibility of doing uh, autonomous driving or you know, real-time analytics for data that can be used as video analytics for public safety. So I think the use cases are really different for 5G. Where are we in terms of deployment? Uh, we're just getting trials done. There's still some work being done in terms of getting spectrum released so that we can have this be more ubiquitous. If you go around the globe, many people tried their first trial. So I think next year is the year where we start to see more network deployment. We start to see more devices that can actually use 5G. And we really start to see people thinking differently about what would I do with this type of wireless connectivity? Not you know just for smartphone calling, not just for streaming Netflix, which don't get me wrong, Everybody loves streaming Netflix, but we need more than that, I think. So. More than multiplexing. We have got Netflix streaming multiplexed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can have four Netflix streams on your phone. Yeah. Nice. Um, anyway. <laughs> Remember, we spoke to Paul about uh, you know, the significance of AI uh, and, uh, and, and, and how it's over the last couple of years, it has risen to near the top, perhaps top. Uh, focus area for line of business leaders and CEOs. In fact, many times I find that it's a boardroom discussion because people want to understand why is there so much VC funding and some of, some of the you know digital native companies in the world are leading with AI as as their main main uh, talking point. You recently uh, completed a survey of AI attitudes with CXOs. Uh, can you share with us some of your discoveries in terms of the attitude today versus perhaps even a couple of years ago? I think if we even went back to last year, people were thinking that, you know, this AI thing was somewhere a combination between uh, Skynet or just not possible, right? So you, you sort of had these polarizing viewpoints. I think now what people are really starting to see that I think Paul really nailed in, in his conversation is that um, we have all this data. We've had data and analytics for some time. I used to talk about delivering contextual services that I called right time experiences. Right information, right person, right time, device of choice. Why didn't it happen? And I started to realize it didn't happen because people weren't using machine learning, they weren't using analytics to get to that real time actionable data. And now we've got these new technologies. So instead of thinking it as AI, which is really all the way out at the artificial and perhaps at the autonomous, which makes people feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you start thinking of these AI tools in a progression of like, well, what do we do with basic machine learning? What do we do with more deep learning? And long story short, what happens is people are taking the data that they're getting from IoT sensors, from mobile devices, from systems of record, and they're now starting to get better, faster analytics around that and delivering information to those people. So as a result of that, what people are now saying is instead of, oh, I don't want to do AI, you know, over 70% of the companies we spoke to are like, yeah, we want to do some AI projects in 2018. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not they fully get there, I mean, 70% is a pretty big number, right? They found that they had some challenges. 
you know, basic challenge, what everybody thought of, we don't have the skill set or the talent. So, you know, you're starting to see some of the vendors respond with, you know, more cloud-based AI services that people can look at uh, that are really quite interesting. Uh, but then security was another big issue. And I think security is an issue in every field. If you're looking at IoT, security is an issue. If you're looking at AI, security is an issue. So trying to figure out how you might get some, around some of the challenges of making sure the data gets to where it needs to go and it's safe and secure and private matter, actually. You know, and, and that's actually a great point. You're also talking about in your, in your work, really data for betterment. And talk a little bit about how that is changing the way people think about jobs and AI. Um, it's a nonprofit that you're, that you're working with. Yeah, I had this um, really interesting uh, outlook that happened when I started thinking about how many technologies I was going to have to learn in my job, how many technologies <laughs> you were going to have to learn in your job. And, and then you start thinking, oh my gosh, you know, there's probably four or five big technology trends before we retire that are going to happen. And you realize that after the age of, say, 25, 30, no one's actually re-educating themselves, retooling themselves. They're just reacting to uh, their families, their jobs. And I really think we're entering this world where AI is going to be extremely disruptive to people's jobs. It's going to change what the value is in their job. And you need to know that. So everybody worries, like, is it going to replace my job? Well, it might just replace 50% of your job. So the question is, what are you going to do for the other 50% of it? You need to be on top of that. And not just the individual themselves. So Data for Betterment is about talking to organizations to say, you need to actively think about how you're going to retrain your workforce. You can't expect that it's going to be nights and weekends on their own and they're, they're just going to want to do this. And they need a little more guidance. So, you know, we're talking to organizations that are saying maybe we'll give you a day off a week and we're going to create these, you know, I think you need to create a partnership with your employees that say, okay, we're going to reskill you, then you're going to stay a certain amount of time. I'm not going to teach you machine learning so that you can go off and work with some other person, right? So, but this is the type of dialogue that people have to have in their organization. And I think that that's what Data for Betterment is about, is helping people understand that work is changing that we need to think about. We can't hire all the people that we want to hire, so how do we get them retrained and skilled? Cybersecurity, there aren't enough cybersecurity professionals, right? That's a, that's a key thing. And you know, people talk about like the great truck driver issue. That, oh, it's gonna replace all the truck drivers' jobs. Well, you know what? There's a truck driver shortage right now if you're doing long haul trucking, of, you know, thousands and thousands. So to that point where there's technology working with humans, this is the, biggest challenge of our time is to figure out where our value lives and how do we create continuous learning and continuous innovation of ourselves, not just of the technology stack. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, with the fourth industrial revolution as coined by World Economic Forum, uh, companies are still trying to educate themselves with cloud computing, mobile technology, social. Now add to that AI and all the different branches uh, with machine, deep, natural language processing, smart robotics, all of that, blockchain, internet of things, mixed reality, AR, VR. I, it, it's it's mind-numbing how much uh, we've evolved in terms of technology and its impact on business. My company is investing in free training for all the stakeholders using a, 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 a online free gamified platform called Trailhead. But as the 70% of the CXOs in your research indicated that in 2018, they want to do something with AI, how do you guide them in terms of what are some of the challenges they should expect, like perhaps lack of talent 
or even culture that can embrace uh, a data-driven model um, and pitfall, pitfalls to avoid? Yeah, there's a couple of really, um, the first challenge, and I, I think Paul mentioned this as well, is the concept of people have data that is bad data, right? And you run the risk of compounding bad decisions by pulling in bad data. So the first thing that everybody has to figure out is how do I get the data? How do I get the data prepared? There's something called data engineers that that's their sole focus is to make sure that that data is ready before it goes to the data scientists, before it gets into the mathematical modeling that is the right data. So I think that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is understanding what they're trying to do. I mean, that sounds so dead obvious, but <laughs> if you are just taking a bunch of data and you're throwing it into some system and you're trying to do some learning on it, that's interesting, but that does not move the needle in your business. And I think we've seen this happen in mobile projects. I think we've seen this happen in IoT projects. You know, people, people spend all this time connecting uh, sensors. It's like, okay, what did I get out of that? Well, we're connected. Well, that didn't drive any KPIs, right? So, so same with AI. We need to make sure that when we're starting, that we're trying to drive something. I can something turn it on remotely from my phone. <laughs> I know, huge value add in the organization to turn it on remotely. Meanwhile, you have other people that like Hitachi that are doing rail as a service for the UK as a result of you know being able to do all this predictive maintenance and understand the trains, right? So there's a big difference between I can turn it on remotely and you know, hey, I can. Uh, I can create a whole new service offering out of it. So, so that's one of the second things, you know, the, the third thing is count. But I think there's also an organizational element that people need to think about hmm. in terms of how do, you know, if I get this information, how does it change someone's job? Not just in terms of 50% of the job goes away, but has it changed the structure of what they do every day to streamline that process? How does it change how contact center agents are dealing with the people that call in to the organization? How does it change how the field service professional goes about their day? And are they comfortable with that? You know, we've finally gotten to the point where a lot of people that weren't comfortable with technology are now okay carrying a smartphone or a tablet. And now we've got to get them to this next level of interaction with their technology, where their technology starts telling them things. Do they trust it? Do they not trust it? Are they going to do what the technology tells them to do? Uh, do they have feedback loops to help make the technology better to say, okay, I, I know this piece of equipment and I know if I hit it three times that, you know, it's going to be fine. So is there a way to put, you know, there's some vibration thing that has to happen in, back into the system so they can be smarter. So those are some of the things that I've seen people struggle with as they've gone down this journey. They get really hung up in like, what's the best algorithm? And what's the best algorithm is probably like the least interesting part of the machine learning uh, landscape, right? <laughs> My algorithm is cooler than your algorithm. No, no, no. With great yeah. AI comes with great responsibility. Let's, let's talk about data privacy for a second. Mm -hmm. Hot everywhere. Uh, yeah. Where are we on the state of this, uh, especially given how AI is using your data to actually learn more about you? Yeah, I, I think we've obviously seen from the recent news that some people have been more responsible data stewards than others. Uh, but what I think it, it brings out is the, 
is the real issue that some people didn't use data because they're really worried about this. Like if you go back and look at telecom service providers, they had a lot of data about you for a long time and they didn't use it because they're worried about this exact thing that happened. Now, they fell behind on some of their services as a result of that. Uh, on the other side, we had some of the internet startups that went way too far apparently in terms of what you could do with your data. So there's one thing that I think is, is a challenge. We're talking a lot about, well, many things. We're talking a lot about what the companies need to do to secure this data and for data privacy. We're not talking a lot about what the people need to do. People are inherently lazy. If you give them a, and I fit into this category as well, how many times have you scrolled down? Yes, I accept whatever you want to do with whatever it is that you're taking from me. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things I think people start talking about is, you know, do I give them more options? And if I give them more options, will they go through and read them and select the appropriate things? Or are they just going to accept everything? And I think at some, you know, and, and are, or are they not going to use my services because I've asked them to answer these 10 questions before they can start using the app that they just downloaded as an example or the online services. I, I thought that to. was just going to be a bot that just interacts with you. And if you like it or not, you just say yes. It's just kind of casual <laughs> in the background, ambient, yeah. right? So. You know, that's actually not a bad idea, right? You know, they talked about this. Um, there was this great TED talk where uh, someone from MIT was talking about perhaps in government, we need to have a bot that understands our values and then can read all of the bills and understand, help us understand how to vote as a result of that, because it can go through all the legalese faster than we can. There, there could be something that happens on the privacy side if we really wanted to put our technology to it and say, hey, you know, this is what Maribel cares about in terms of privacy. And it could go through and read through everything and try to figure out, you know, okay, turn this on, turn that off, and turn whatever. And I would probably just accept that and be very happy with it. <laughs> speaking, of, uh, speaking of MIT, on 60 Minutes, uh, you, may saw, you may have seen on Sunday, a student is surfing the internet with his mind. Uh, they ask him questions and he just silently thinks vibrations come back and through that in his inner ear he hears the answer so now you have your mind as the new ui um you've lived on the edge you research exponential technologies uh so given what we saw on 60 minutes which was pretty pretty awesome uh, pretty awesome actually take, take us to 2021 take us three four five years from now what, what can we expect uh given the velocity of innovation today yeah, you're going to like some of it and dislike some of it. So um, I'll roll out with the things that you may or may not like. We'll, we'll go with this. Um, you know, Poppy Crumb from Dolby uh, has this really fabulous set of demonstrations that she does. It really gets into the sensing around humans, you know, sense, being able to actually at a pretty good granular level, see what's going on with your eyes and understand there's all these visual cues that you give people about what's going on, uh, analyzing your breath. So we'll be able to tell a lot about people, uh, their attitudes, uh, their fears, hopes, you know, whatever their current emotional state is, whether I'm trying to put up my own mask or not. And that's gonna make some environments really interesting if we could think of using this, right? So we've gotten facial recognition is extremely good, as you know, we use it on our phones and the like. But, you know, we have companies, if you were at NRF, you could walk up to a kiosk and order a burger with your face and pay with face, right? Um, pay with face sounds kind of funny, but uh, the problem with that technology is it could see you too far away. They actually had to scope it down. 
So you can see that we're getting to a world more where, burgers. you know, more burgers. Yeah. My, my, I was paying for somebody else's burger. Cause I was like 10 feet down and you know, the person. So, anyway, we're going to get Maribel. The, 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 yeah. 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 It's the, yeah, so, so, so those are some of the things that are happening, but there's also some amazing things happening in the medical field. You know, people talking about um, being able to grow organs so that our transplant lists can change. We're, that's actually on the realm of real near-term possibility. We're talking about new laser technologies uh, that can go through skin and bone without uh, refracting, so it can be a very precise laser, and that can allow you to do different things around cancer treatment. So just amazing new technology coming out. Amazing. Wow. We are here with Maribel Lopez, technology analyst, speaker, author, business advisor at Lopez Research. You can follow her on Twitter at Maribel Lopez and, uh, you know, former Constellation alumni. So thanks. Thanks for being on the show. You, cr you crushed it. Thank I you. hope to come back. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope to be back. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Awesome. We got some. Uh, Another amazing follow on, on, on social, and she writes for Forbes regularly, and really, really smart analyst. So, um, you know, if you're interested in the future of technology and how businesses are using it, this is a great follow. So cool. Now, to humanize everything we talked about, who do we have? <laughs> it's, our, it's our pleasure to uh, have uh, Lisa Lichten. Uh, Lichtinger, uh, Future Design Station and Mindful Existence founder. Uh, Lisa is named one of the world's top futurists and is among uh, the world's uh, most sought after individual in terms of connecting uh, and correlating between well-being and, and economy. Uh, a, a unique set of experiences, a psychologist, wellness pioneer, and a computer coder and developer. And all of these com combination of skills and experiences and insights makes Lisa uniquely qualified to, li uh, to live her mission as a futurist uh, who shows company CEOs uh, and engineering teams how to design what we've been talking about, AI, artificial intelligence, in ways that provide maximum health for people who use uh, their products. Her work has helped leaders and organizations improve their understanding of how to build the future by measuring disruptive impact. Currently, Lisa uses her knowledge of behavioral economics and applies it to studies of future interactions of humans and technology. Uh, our, our first guest, Paul, talked a lot about that. And uh, the, the central intent uh, of Lisa remains to support the success in her corporate clients walking with integrity to their authentic self. Uh, incredible follow on Twitter as well. You can follow Lisa at WHLTE. MT. Welcome, Lisa, to Disrupt TV. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, Lisa, thanks for being on the show. So you were hey, listed right. as one of Ross Dawson, who's one of our good friends, one of the top futurists in the world. So tell us about the research you're doing, because you're, you're at the intersection of all these different disciplines, and, and that's what makes it exciting for us. But talk about the disciplines and how that gets you to where you are. Sure. Well, I think um, starting at the beginning, so around 2002, seven to 2009, um, I started research in applied mindfulness when I left my corporate job in Manhattan. So what they were calling it then was, you know, um, wor workplace happiness or work-life balance. And there was, since 2001, when I was working in Manhattan, um, it was kind of taboo to talk about, you know, being happy at work or being able to bring these elements to work that made you happy 
And the way I saw it was that if we're able to be a little bit more um, fulfilled, then actually it's going to drive up production and effectiveness. So why wouldn't companies want to help support all of their clients and all of their employees with being uh, able to produce more if their vitality is also going up, if their mental health is going up, if cognitively they can have more focus. So this is really at the core of um, essentially all the, the work I've been doing. And then I did that in graduate school in psychology. So the way all of that is being translated into my most recent research um, that I think you asked about was how, how we can be more resilient. So you have cognitive resilience, you have emotional resilience, you have physiological resilience in the human being. There's also a whole area of how that interacts with, with climate change and, and different vector models, but that's you know, other, other people that are fascinating. But if you focus on the human, think about, if you think about like cognitively your resilience, you have um, fluid intelligence and then you have crystallized intelligence. One is from learned knowledge and how to master and apply that. The other is how to be able to think logically, but not only that, uh, think originally and solve problems. So usually um, these two forms of intelligence are very difficult to switch from one to the other. So usually at the end of someone's career, you'll either be someone who has mastered a standardized process or system and your value is there, or you're someone who could be maybe uh, applying this, this masterful thought and, and using it to identify new patterns, which is more like the other kind of intelligence. So the research um, is about assessing these different kinds of intelligence systems. And so one acronym I like to use for more the emotional and cognitive model came out to be EPIC. And it's just so epic that the word actually is epic. That is epic. And so that, that is a really synchronistic example of when you're able to very quickly go between these two systems thinking and link it like what Paul was saying with, you know, the thinking mind and then back to the heart. In fact, um, these synchronicities uh, occur and happen more and more and more often. And then so someone that's able to pick up on that pattern would be using actually the intelligence. So um, EPIC literally stands for equilibrium, presence, identity, coherence, and connection. And so I use that acronym to measure those uh, actual qualities for graduate students most recently um, at uh, Hong Kong Polytech University. Um, we use a variation of that that's very state specific, um, but we use something that's trait specific. Um, sorry, so that was that was helping figure out, you know, um, what skills to to help them figure out would be better to to harness while they're still in graduate school. Uh, as part of the executive ed education program they're in and, and the School of Design. Now, using something similar like that for measuring people in, let's say, like social robotics research, that would be more trait specific. So you have humans, participants, right? And they're, they're not interacting with a resilience tool. That, that was software, it was a chat bot, but uh, no visuals, no avatar, just, just all audio and text, right? Now, if you take, since you asked about research, 
Um, there's so much to say and I love this all. Um, let's switch now over to social robotics. Uh, I'm really, really honored and grateful that I've been able to work with, for the robotics research, a humanoid robot that actually looks like a human. Wow. It's a Hanson Robotics, one of their, you know, beautiful robots, with flubber for the skin. And so it's, it, it's been used for media play, you know, things like the great things. However, my work with this robot is pretty much all research-based in social robotics. Now, the reason why it's so interesting is because the face um, is something a human can identify. A human sees a human face and suddenly, um, you know, these non-verbal behaviors, you, you have a whole new meaning behind face value and what you're able to measure and assess uh, with the participants in this study. I mean, I want you to think about this. And it, it was what um, uh, Maria, I believe, was also alluding to and hinting to what will happen in the next few years. Your face value literally is going to become your actual face value. I mean, there, there's going to be... I'm in trouble. Yeah, there's going to be a level of, of authenticity that is, like, inescapable. And already, um, you know, there's a lot of these technologies that are being used to identify if someone's jaywalking or, or mm -hmm. who the person is. And started with a fingerprint. Put your fingerprint on the cell phone, gets your data face as well, facial, facial recognition, hand gestures facial expressions, the whole thing, right? So, but with the research, it's really fascinating. Um, in terms of experimentation with, with robots, uh, as Paul also was saying, it helps you reimagine what's real in the software and, and what's not. Um, and so it's really, really interesting seeing how a human being interacts with the software and how they're shifted, how they move, uh, what, what, uh, you know, proclivity they have in terms of do they want to engage with something that is is causing them to feel right. you know some 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 intimacy, but it's not human. You know, um, these these uh, experiments are super important um, when we start to con and continue to build different kinds of of tools like like this AI bot. Um, Paul also spoke about this. We call it like more like a familial or we call it a guide that's gonna be literally in hardware there, like as a little drone there on your show. I mean, this already exists or it could just be an audio in your, you know, audio piece. I mean, these, these things already are being built and they already exist. And so it will be a personalized, customized, and this is the favorite part of what I'm doing later in the future. Um, uh, second you essentially like a Jiminy Cricket like your little guide you know and it will be purposed for whatever it is that you're doing corporations will actually hand them to you sometimes it will be mandatory to have this different government systems also will oh, yeah. implement this already it's happening or for private clients and private customers they can say well give me one that tells me what's best for tracking my data or glucose level or give me something that knows everything about me uh, that's secure and safe that no one knows about that's just for me or share the information to the quantified self forum or things like that so in terms of the re research you can see all the different verticals where where this research can can be applied and, and where it can go so 
I just do, spoke a lot about. Do, do you need to um, do you need to teach mindfulness first in order to build your resiliency muscle, or is it resilience that's inherent to your character that helps you be empathetic and mindful and aware of uh, your your situation? How are they intertwined? That's that's a really good question. So we have identity that uh, is so the epic again. Um, e is equilibrium. It's a state of stable mastery and equal balance in unfavorable environments. So that's that's what developing that one is. Um, presence close to the mindfulness. It's ability for someone to have an adaptive process. Um, of performance that's stationed in embracing this ad adversity. So instead of, you know, this fl flight or flight thing, um, you don't fly away and you don't fight, actually you're embracing and adapting. Um, the eyes about identity, so you have an anchored sense of inner purpose that's reflected in your character. Um, and then the, the P, um, no, sorry, then, Coherence, an overall sense of sustainable engagement um, that's consistent with, with harmony in your life. And then connection, to have a high sense of intentionality to direct um, and to be able to shift the relationships within yourself and, and that you're in with business colleagues or, or family relationships to make them in service to self, others, and then other pronounced systems that you're interacting with. Like as if you're a node um, in the middle of all these things. So the mindfulness would be to have focus and attention with all these different elements of epic. So one instance for coherence. Um, if someone has a low level of coherence, they would be rigid, incongruent with what they're doing. There would be a lot of resistance, right? So if you, to answer your question, does there need to be mindfulness? Well, to be able to diffuse that low level of coherence in a person, you diffuse the cognitive fog that they have um, to help enhance it. And so uh, developing you know, mindfulness practices will then help to increase the magnitude of cognitive dis dissonance, meaning psychological stress. Uh, sometimes they used to call it doublethink in, in brain neurology. And so um, the software we're using for that helps people to be able to go from let's say the one end of the you know deviation to the other so from the lower to the higher level so um to answer your question yes and i hope that example helped absolutely, absolutely. make sense yeah, no, definitely and and so okay. one of the stuff in, in, your, in your work around our relationship resilience um yeah. this was something that you guys won an x prize for tell us more about that the the x prize was with the social robotics um specifically um and there's still some things happening there but in terms of the relation resilience um let's see it has to do with it um so the x prize more is with the uh, institute of noetic sciences julia mossbridge and ben gertzel and and several other people hansen robotics is um you know robot sophia is involved in that but um the relationship resilience um, are to improve uh, different ways that people can interact with, with you know, different software that's placed in, into the robot, for instance. And so a lot of that has to do with helping people uh, maintain their humaneness. 
um, and being able to bounce back from adversity and um, which is a, a innate human trait. So the scientific research really has helped uh, identify several major modalities and, and sources um, that affect both uh, psychological and biological health. So um, that's, that's pretty much what I talked about before with Epic and, and things like that. I mean, so you're humanizing, you're humanizing um, robots. You're taking the learnings within how, how we think, how we feel, and how we actually are aware of our surroundings. And you're helping robots learn that as well. It would probably be a good summary. Absolutely. So situational awareness and orientation is about picking up what's, what's happening around you. Um, one really talented colleague of mine, Ralph Mayet, I always mess up his last name. <laughs> Forgive me, Ralph. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> um, I know he's, he's going to hear about this. Um, he's working on, on the perceptual side of things with, with uh, robots and with software, both with avatars that we're working on and, and with actually humanoid robots. And so if you think about uh, a human, the more you're situationally aware, the more you can take in, the more you know what's going on around you, the more you're able to um, bring that into, you know, you know, your focus, right? If, if these, these practices are congruent, with the, let's say the robot or the software that you're interacting with, um, well, that's when you start talking about um, the facial recognition and and all that other really interesting uh, technology, uh, all the capabilities. That, that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of uh, one of the things I notice about people that in my life when work, people that are happy and mindful it feels like they have a good sense of how they manage their time. Um, and whether that's true or not, at least that's my perception. The ones that are smiling and courteous and have good manners seem to not be in a hurry all the time. And one of your favorite sayings is that the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange uh, for it. Uh, can you tell us why that's a favorite uh, saying for you and what it really means uh, in terms of your, your uh, you know, the statement? Absolutely. Um, if you're making a billion dollar deals, you don't have the luxury of having an emotional outburst, having um, interference or turbulence in your thoughts, or being um, bothered by some very stressful physiological state. Mm -hmm. All of those elements and variables can, when after many years, when when you know they've become unmanageable, can super, super impact you, right? So if you think about it, if you're making some kind of decision like that, you want to be at the most optimal state possible. Um, so... Um, in a flow state? Um, some athletes, when they're in intense competition, they're in such a zone yeah. that it's, I think, often referred to being in a flow state where you're really at your best. Absolutely. Or, or you get what you give. Absolutely. Um, so the amount of vitality and energy and time that you spend in anything, talking about time management, um, is where your focus is, where your focus goes. You're able to, in a flow state, direct that without having other factors interfere. Like, so for creatives, sometimes it's very difficult, right? 
um, the starving artists and things like that. But I disagree. I think you can be more creative and have more of an expansion of these, you know, beautiful creative talents if you're able to focus, you know. So the price, uh, there's a price to time and it's to be valued. And so the price of that which you place your focus on mm. cannot really be exchanged. Like if, if you don't focus, that time's lost, that day's lost. It's, it's gone forever, right? The next morning, the clock, this fake thing we call time sets again, but we're a product of operating in the socially supported system. And so this mindfulness uh, aspect is really the way to train where you place your focus, what you pay attention to, and then uh, this is how you can manage your time. And so if you're able to do this more often than not and sustain this and find the techniques and practices that help you do this, then you know, you're basically the director of your, of your life. Wow, here we are with uh, Lisa Lichtinger, Future Design Station, Mindful Existence, one of the top followers for uh, Futurists. Um, you can follow her at Twitter, at W-H-L-T-E-M-T, and more importantly, um, you can see her work um, on her website as well. You can talk about more what's going on in terms of emotion, psychology, innovation, um, mindfulness, all wrapped up together as we look at anything from intelligent agent software and robotics and behavioral AI models. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show, Lisa. Thank you. You were terrific. Thank you Thank for you so having much. me. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Action-packed on AI and everything else around humanizing robots and artificial intelligence. It's getting crazy. What are we doing next week <laughs> for episode 105? I'm trying to my mind around these three extraordinary guests, Ray. I tell you, every time I leave Disrupt TV, I don't know if you can see the smoke coming out of my ears, but <laughs> I got... I've got so much to Google and learn. <laughs> but uh, next week, uh, it's an extraordinary, again, CEOs are coming to Disrupt TV. You know, I, this is a humble brag, but I don't know if any other show uh, that's accessible to all has more CEOs that come on a weekly basis to share about their vision of innovation leadership and business models. So we have um, uh, Michelle Perry, CEO at uh, Relax, sorry. Relation, I think. Relations. Coming here uh, next week, we have David Linehan, CEO of uh, Tiber Health. And our final guest is Byron Reese, author, publisher at GigaOM. And he's talking about his, uh, his new book. So two extraordinary CEOs, an author, publisher, and a media uh, giant who's going to be on our show next week. And uh, Ray, your final comments on a, on a Friday afternoon on Disrupt. This is Friday. It doesn't get better than this. Next week is awesome. We got like healthcare, healthcare tech. It's ahead of our little healthcare transformation forum uh, that we're doing in Las Vegas in the next week, uh, May, May 17th to 19th. So it's going to be great. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Get the book. It's a great book. Oh, yeah. This thing was awesome. Yeah, I really <laughs> Take did. care. See you guys. Mm -hmm.